Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. But in terms of thinking about all of the races, I think like never before, everyone is finally realizing after two decades that where the action is, is going to be in state and local politics. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Okay, so uh, happy new year on the third. That's to you, Jason. Uh, you're telling I was already talking, man. I was talking about something else. I was looking at the date, the calendar here. It's it's January 3rd. Happy New Year to you, man. Yeah. Uh, so we're already in 2022, the year that everybody keeps on talking about when we uh, have some high stakes elections and all that. Uh, but as we begin a brand new year, I'm curious uh, what can uh, of beer you've decided to start this one off with. My good man, since we uh, are called Yolitics here, I'm having the Y'all's Bach for the new year. I like year. that. This Y'all's Bach. Revolver Brewing. Now, I would like to tell you that I uh, I really planned this out, but this is the last can of beer in my refrigerator. Oh, well, and, uh, I, just, I totally understand that. It flowed well. It flowed well. So let's try that. I, I like box. I, I don't like a lot of dark beers, but, but this do you is, think I like that, Shiner. Do you think that the name of that thing came out before our podcast started or was it after? We're, we're like getting really trendy now, too. We're a hashtag, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're obviously trending. They're obviously making beers named after in, in our name. <laughs> Um, I picked this one up uh, and I'm going to start it off. Uh, I'm, I'm starting off a new year with an, an, an odd choice for me. Hang on. Let me turn my email off because I'm hearing that thing pinging and going off. A new year, same old problems. Same old problem. Um, so this uh, comes from the Pegasus City Brewing, uh, Pegasus City Brewery in Dallas. It is called the Sixth Floor. Interesting looking can here. Uh, and this one is called an Easy Porter. I've seen that can in the place where I, I go to buy Texas craft beers. I, I yeah. like the Art Deco. Uh, but yeah, it's got what's the beer school like? book depository uh, drawn on there um, and, and an easy porter. I don't know if I've ever had an easy porter. I'm not usually a porter drinker, you know. It's winter, though, so give it us, is. Give us an idea. Is it good? Looks like espresso. Man, that's dark. Um, it is good. I like that. It's a different pace. New year. I'm going to try new things this year, Jason. Are you uh, really? It's a, it's a brand new me. I'll remember you said that then. Maybe I may uh, even, you know what I'm going to do? One of the one of my uh, resolutions this year is to shorten my questions just for you. <laughs> Actually, that's not going to happen. You're going to speak we too soon. You're going to speak too soon, man. <laughs> so, so the uh, voice you heard at the very beginning of this podcast is an old friend of the program here, a friend of ours. It's uh, Dr. Kimmy King, she is a professor in the interim chair of political science at uh, the Department of Political Science, rather, at University of North Texas in Denton. And we got a couple of guests on the program to look at 2022 in politics. This brand new year here, there's never a slow time, it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like. Uh, even when the legislature is not in, in session, now we have the midterms. There's always something going on, and 2022 is starting out like it's going to be uh, just, you know, raging fire already. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and so uh, we decided to get uh, Professor King uh, on the line with us today uh, just to kind of uh, go through some of the things uh, that she is anticipating and to talk about, you know, how you even how do you teach political science in, in this environment right now where uh, everything's changing so fast and, and there's so many things to talk about that are topical each day in politics that, you know, you might as well just throw out the textbook at this point. Uh, so <laughs> we got her on the line here and uh, we're going to dive right in and see what we expect as we go through this high stakes political year. Kimmy, there is never a slow year in politics anymore. I mean, the legislature is off in 2022, but it's a midterm uh, election year now, too. Lots of big races out there. Which ones are the ones that you're really focused in on and will be watching this new year? I think that if you're looking inside Texas and Texas will be receiving a good chunk of national attention. Clearly the one that's the most interesting is going to be the one regarding attorney general Paxton. And Mm -hmm. that race promises to be very interesting for any number of reasons, not the least of which is the prior legal challenges that attorney general Ken Paxton has faced. Um, And he has indicated that he thinks he can get the 50% that he is, you know, running up against big names like Land Commissioner, you know, George Bush. Kim, Kimmy, we, we had a digital hiccup there and we lost your picture. And you said he, he has indicated that. And I think you. Oh, uh, I don't know if it's something in with control of stuff. Is is that deep state? You no. think, Kimmy? Could it be deep state? Maybe? No, it's called deep incompetent professor. I was. <laughs> so let me try this well, again. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, you were saying that he has indicated that the Paxton has indicated that he, he might be able to clear it without a run. That he huh? can that he can get that. But he's up against big names. You know, you know, George Bush, George P. Bush, land commissioner and Texas Supreme Court Justice Eva Guzman and especially Representative Louis Gohmert of Tyler, who's been a stalwart. Uh, right. He's been really interesting in terms of his politics and the position he's taken and had some support from former President Trump. And so the fact that former Former President Trump has endorsed Paxton already will be something to watch. Of course, as you mentioned, he brings in a lot of personal legal baggage uh, there, uh, and and that's going to be probably highlighted uh, a lot by his Republican competitors going into the primary. Uh, does that weaken uh, Attorney General Paxton if he is able to get that 50 percent in the primary, which uh, some people are not sure he's going to be able to do? If he does get that, though, will that weaken him going into the general election or is all of that sort of baked in and and he'll cruise uh, if he can get through the primary? I think that in Texas, he will cruise if he can get through the primary. That's really the tough one. And I think that's going to be the moral of the story in every election that you see here in Texas. You have to remember that there is this incumbency effect, despite the fact that the Democrats had some marginal win at the national level uh, in the 2020 election. They really scraped through for a party that, you know, allegedly took the election from former President Trump. They really didn't do a good job of taking the rest of the seats around the country. And the state legislatures are dominated by Republican control, with 30 of them being in the Republican column, 19 being Democrat. And of course, you have Nebraska, which is unicameral. And so it's also the redrawing of those district lines in the states. And that's what I think you're going to see interesting about the 2022 election. And here's the bottom line on the story for that. And that is why does 2022 matter? 
because the president always gets hammered in his party, gets hammered in the midterm elections substantially. And because Biden is under attack because of his approval rating that really still stem from the handling of Afghanistan. And a little bit, we'll see where the economy takes it. But then also, finally, you have a whole new slate of voting rights laws that have come into place around the country from these legislatures to change things. It's really just a dress rehearsal for what 2024 will look like. And that's why 2022 matters in a way that is monumentally different from 2018. Kimmy, we'll talk about the governor's race in just a moment, but one other question about the attorney general's race in the GOP primary in March or whenever it's going to be. Uh, Louis Gohmert, the congressman from, congressman from East Texas, says that uh, he, he thinks that, that he might pose a, a threat. And people that I'm talking to, despite what the polls are showing right now, but people I'm talking to, uh, you know, close to Paxton, have said the same thing because Gohmert appeals to that uh, far right base, the Trump supporters, just like Paxton does. Paxton, of course, has the former president's endorsement. But at the end of the day, is is Gomer going to be able to make that much of a dent in Paxton? I think you're going to have to watch. So far, the poll numbers don't bear him out, right? I mean, so far, there's been no move. And in some ways, Attorney General Paxton is surrounded with titanium. I mean, he has been he has managed to hold on so long. And don't forget, it is all about the money when it comes to these elections. What you really can do because of these primary challenges is you put such a dent in your spending that you're never really fully able to recover. But I think that whoever comes on as the Republican or the Democratic nominee out of these primary struggles is still going to have the money going forward. It has been quite surprising the the amount that actually the Democrats have raised around the country. Most people have this impression that somehow the Republicans had all this money in 2020. And the reality is the Democrats did very well. So we'll Mm -hmm. see. Speaking of big money, uh, Governor Abbott has quite a bit of it, uh, a huge stack going into this election. Uh, He also uh, has been doing very well in the polls, at least so far, against his announced Democratic challenger, Beto O'Rourke. But also he's uh, been doing very well in the polls against his Republican challengers going into the primary, many of them uh, much to the right of him. And yet, even though he's doing so well against them in polling, he keeps pulling further to the right. Does he run a big risk there? We've asked this a couple of times. Does he run a big risk there of hurting himself in the general election if he can get through that primary, but he goes far to the right? And that is always the challenge. And it is the number one criticism of our primary process that it forces both Democrats and Republicans into kind of you see that in some ways with the progressive component of the Democrat Party and Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker, had to kind of rein in some of the coalition because of that. And you absolutely do run a risk of putting your foot in your mouth and having to eat your words later on as a result of it. 
again, it's different because it's Texas. I mean, there still manages to be a strong core um, contingent of folks that will turn out that way. I think if you're going to really look closely, you're going to watch what happens in the suburbs and especially the white suburbs in the primaries to look Mm -hmm. at turnout and to look at mobilization because you saw a little bit of that flip that really helped push the Democrats across the finish line. But they barely made it across the finish line. And I think that's why there's this real concern that they'll get hammered, that as much as everyone says that we're about to turn purple and have been saying that since really 2006, none of that has come true. So the reason why Abbott has shifted to the right will be the things that will hold him in good stead. It's because it helps him mobilize in the general election. And I think the same is going to be true for Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and Attorney General Paxton. There's also a uh, another name that just uh, filed uh, not too long ago for the governor's uh, seat. A guy named Rick Perry. He's not, not the, former the guy. governor. <laughs> he's he's not the former governor. But but clearly someone recruited him to create confusion on the ticket there. <laughs> At the end of the day, when you have a name like Rick Perry on the ballot, even though we know he's not the former governor who was popular in the state, when you have, uh, you know, other candidates on there who are, you know, popular with the base, d- does Abbott still escape without a runoff? I think that. Abbott is uniquely situ- well, you know, part of it is it's going to depend on how much, you know, former Florida congressman and Tea Party favorite Alan West and right. and state senator Don Huffines really go after him. And they are both preaching this message of the border uh, and that mobilizes the population. And let's throw into that mix what happens with the Texas law on abortion, which the Supreme Court. Who knows everything about the Supreme Court's timing in that case, but that's very much a stump speech issue that Abbott has hit and hit hard. And I think that's another mobilizer that this is one of these wedge issues, the the border and abortion, get your population out and they're not going to be fooled by anyone else or any kind of division. Dr. King, you made reference to this uh, a little while ago, the the new voting uh, restriction laws here in Texas, as well as many other states across the country. Uh, where Republicans have control. We've seen a whole uh, spate of those here in recent months. Um, Democrats in Congress have been wrestling with this and talking about passing voter protections that would extend nationwide. If they can't get that done, um, do you think that that's going to make a significant difference here in Texas in 2022? So let me, so you're talking about the, say it a little bit more, and I'm sorry, my phone started blowing up and I turned it off. Oh, no, that's so I fine. I missed it, it, you know what? That happens. Professor, his questions are always long. <laughs> we, we go through this all the time. Yeah, so, so I, I relish. I, I get him all the time to, to shorten his questions down. I'm glad someone else no, is Jason, saying No, Jason, she's stuff. asking me to add to it, which I relish the opportunity <laughs> for a longer question. Really? Um, oh, my gosh. So, no, this I mean, is great. 
We just know that there have been changes uh, to election law here in Texas. Republicans saying that they are uh, trying to make elections more secure. Democrats, though, criticizing that this really amounts to voter suppression. Do you do you think that we're likely to see a major effect from the voting uh, restrictions that have been put in place here in Texas if congressional Democrats don't find a way to uh, pass some laws to, to, to roll some of that back nationwide? I don't think they'll be able to pass it in time. There are too many things on the agenda. But even if they were able to, I think you would still have those concerns about getting them in place in time simply because there are most likely going to be challenges and that can wind up delaying things. I do think, however, that people may be surprised at the way in which there is some pushback uh, by people being turned out and mobilizing people because of this concern about what might be happening. You also have to throw into the mix what might come down on challenges regarding the current districts. And we have several districts that most constitutional scholars look at and kind of go, huh, what was that? That, that, that that's gonna, that has the potential to get itself in trouble, and that can then throw the maps up into the air. The short answer to what you're saying is there's so many different variables that it's not clear it won't just be a wash. So much of it is going to depend on how much you can get that midterm turnout for 2022. In the 2018 election, you know, nationwide, we saw only about five or six points lower than what we see in a presidential election. There clearly was a push forward in 2018. You saw that in 2008. There are these moments in history that happen with voting politics and the politics of voting. And you may see some of that mobilization on both the left and the right so that it would be a wash. And that's why you have to watch for new voters that are coming in and those moderate voters that are flipping back and forth. Because if you look across the country, and it's true here in Texas, when you've seen the Democratic Party make gains in more local elections, even though they haven't taken back control of statewide races yet, they started to narrow the gap And that gap is becoming bigger and bigger. And you saw that with the election vote, the election, um, the election count for President Trump versus, say, Senator John Cornyn. And that there are some candidates that the people are just not going to go for. And it may be that to bring it back to Paxton. Paxton has passed the expiration date and Louis, the, you know, Louis Gohmert is set to retire him. So, so Texas has just passed what 17 million registered voters, I believe, just, just crept across that, that threshold, which is huge. There's a lot of new Texans here, people moving from across the state, especially across the country, oh, wow. especially California as well, too. But, but here's a question I have, you know, having lived in Texas 21 years, Republicans clearly vote in this state. They they get their voters to the polls. Democrats just don't show up. There are a number of outliers out there. You talked about the border a few moments ago, too. Roe versus Wade, uh, we expect the decision on that. Not on Roe v. Wade, but on, on whether it survives or not, essentially, uh, when the Supreme Court term is up sometime uh, in June or July. 
And there's also the results of the select committee on uh, the mm-hmm. January 6th insurrection as well, too. Will any of that motivate the right or the left? I think everybody's motivated. I, I, I mean, I find it sort of striking that I've never seen such a level of polarization that both the Republican and Democratic parties have had to appeal to either the more conservative or the more liberal parts of their base in previous elections. But what you find is that when you ask people about their views on things, most of us, the non-elites, are somewhere more in the middle. So to get back to what you said, Mr. White, that the I think that it's a part of how the candidates appeal to those moderate voters to get them to flip. Because if you look, for example, what happened in Virginia most recently, you know, that's an indication that you can't go too far with it. Be careful of thinking somehow or being emboldened by the way your primary turned out, that that means you get to scoot home. That's different. Virginia has been one of those states that's been in the mix, like North Carolina and Georgia. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Texas, I share with you, I don't think Texas in my 28 years here is ready to make that massive shift to purple. But don't forget, Beto came pretty close. The question is whether Beto O'Rourke doesn't have too much baggage at this point. The real reason why Democrats want Beto O'Rourke in there right now is that he is a rainmaker and he brings the money and they need that desperately. Are you are you saying he makes it rain with yeah, money? He does. <laughs> he does. Look at what former President Trump, look at what right. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Powell, you know, the the people that have worked closely around former President Trump um, have some of that same kind of status of being rainmakers. Yeah. Yeah. So if this state goes reliably red uh, election after election like it has for so long, why then do people pay so much attention to what happens in Texas in 2022? Because it almost sounds like the, the outcome so many years is sort of a foregone conclusion. Why are people paying such close attention to us next year? Or this year. Yep. Such a good question. Yeah. Such such a good question. And it's because I think that as you've looked and seen some of these shifts, North Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, it's that they become the harbinger of things to come. And that's why I think Virginia and North Carolina were so upsetting to the Democrats because they thought they were moving in that direction. And then, whoops, they got kicked back. Georgia, maybe not so much. That's why I think everybody is also focusing on Georgia and what happens there. So I think that people are looking at Texas to see that direction, but also because as some of the country started to move more to the middle, Texas doubled down and moved to the right. And to go back to that excellent point that we have 400,000 people a year move into Texas, a th- more than 1,000 people a day, and they're moving into largely urban and suburban areas. That impact, when you see that happen for not a decade, but for two decades, starts to have an influence. How will those California Republicans 
respond when they move here? Are they going to fall in line behind that shift that moves to the Texas right? Or do they bring a fresh voice that goes, okay, well, I'm a Republican, but I'm not that Republican. And do you see Democrats having to say, wait a minute, we have some out-of-staters that we might be able to bring in, but we've got to make sure we don't go too far. You don't want to overplay your hand. So I think the, you know, the, here's the quick answer cut that you can use is that the impact of the ingress of people from out of state can't be fully understood until you look at what's put forward on the platforms that the parties start to cater to in this 2022 election. And that's where mm. you're, you're not really going to know. And it's because the volatility of the suburbs and outlying areas are going to be tremendous. We also don't know the impact of COVID on an elderly population in Texas, which reliably votes Republican. That's going to be a very striking thing that no one has considered as well. I don't. So, yeah. And they also reliably no, that, that, turn out. So they're reliably Republican and yeah. rates of mobilization are like 80, 85 percent. And if you look at younger voters running somewhere between 25 to 35 percent, different issue. That, that, that's, a, that's a really good point uh, about the elderly. And we have not discussed that on this uh, podcast here. Here's my last question for you, uh, Professor. Um, you mentioned early on about uh, how historically, traditionally, the party in power in the White House usually loses uh, seats in Congress uh, in the midterm elections here, too. Um, what, do you, what do you expect? Do Republicans take a majority in the House? Uh, do, do you expect that to change? And if so, uh, Biden's got to get everything he wants done yep. uh, before November, right? It, it, we always joke around, but it is true. It's the economy, stupid. And, and it, the truth is that if President Biden can get the gross domestic product up running somewhere about 3 percent uh, the fourth, the quarter right before the election, he'll be in better shape. That's the statistic that's used in presidential elections. Um, but it has helped presidents not have the damage be as bad. I think for sure the Senate may flip uh, and the House is going to be the run for his life. Hmm. Uh, I have one more for you before we let you go to uh, in, in a year that's coming up like the one that we have coming up. Um, do you ever just consider uh, as a professor throwing out the textbook and throwing out your your, your lesson plans and just. Uh, letting this be the laboratory, letting the, the current events teach because there's just so much going on. This is so good. You know, <laughs> at the University of North Texas, one of the things that we are doing as we head into the election year is to put simulations in our class where students actually look at running campaigns and setting an agenda and you have an entire generation that is mobilized in a way that I've not ever seen before. They do not reliably turn out. The fact is that the support that President Obama got in 2008 didn't stay with him from the voting population in 2012. 
They certainly didn't show up for Hillary Clinton in 2016. And so they're still not yet. When we talk about the older population um, being reliably Republican and turning out, they are reliably progressive. And in some ways that faces its own set of challenge in the, in the Democratic Party. Absolutely. We, when, when we look at what students are doing and the, the kinds of things in the classroom, they want these experiences. We had some concern that all of this polarization would just serve to turn students off. If anything, it has re-engaged them and it's been good for us for business. Um, whether they, how they change over the course of their lifetime is interesting because people's views can change, um, but they are distinctively more conservative even than some of their Northeastern or Western counterparts. I know I'm digressing a lot, but it, it, the we absolutely will have to address this real time. If you think that I didn't walk back in after January 6th next year and start doing lectures the way I'd always done lectures, I can't do that. If you think that I can continue to just keep giving the same kind of product that I used to give before the pandemic, as I have started to do now that hopefully we're pulling out of it, Omicron go away, um, you can't. There has been a mood change in the entire U.S. population. And to draw, a, bring the circle back, and I think that's part of the reason why everybody focuses on Texas and why they're so focused on this primary. It's going to happen fast, y'all. I mean, we've got the deadline for getting people registered to vote January 31st. Tick tock, tick tock. Democrats who have not, to go back to that great question, have not been able to mobilize. You can't mobilize if you don't have people registered. If you don't have people to mobilize, it makes yeah. sense. Good, good point. Professor King, it's always a pleasure to talk I hope to you. I you guys like you got what you down. wanted. <laughs> it's like, because I love we, the we podcast and you guys go in depth and I always feel like I have to keep things up here at like a superficial level. She does break things down very well, Wheeler, and that's why I like having her on the program. But uh, I, I liked her for a whole different reason. Uh, and what was that? Because, I mean, we just got done with this uh, very short-lived resolution that I made that I was going to shorten right. my questions because the people wanted more. She asked for a longer question. She, she asked me to add to the question, Jason. She, it was a clarification <laughs> because your question was like four minutes long as the third of the podcast so far here. It and, was her phone going like, off what? in the middle what? of it. What, what are you asking again? Um, yeah, you already broke your first New Year's resolution. And it's only January there, 30th. Well, now we're started. Now we're underway. Congratulations. Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, Professor uh, King, you know, she studies this. She's connected. She knows what's going on. Next on the line with us here is a, uh, a star reporter at the Texas mm -hmm. Tribune, Cassandra Pollack. While Professor King is studying this, Cassandra Pollack, Cassie Pollack, she actually lives this. She's one of the star reporters at the Trib. She is on Capitol Hill down in Austin constantly. And, uh, you know, has her, her finger on the pulse of what's going on, especially considering statewide politics this year with the election coming up. It's going to be a big year.
Cassie, happy new year to you. Uh, The big news this year politically is not necessarily going to be in November for the general election, but going to be in March or whenever the primary happens for the primary races. Explain why this is going to be, you know, the the big story in March as opposed to uh, later in the year. Right. Well, first off, thanks so much. Happy New Year to you, too. Thanks for having me on. Um, And you're exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, the legislature recently redrew the state's political maps based on uh, census data that came in and that showed that, you know, voters of color uh, largely fueled the state's population for the past decade. Um, Those maps, though, essentially cement the GOP's control um, up and down uh, the ballot. Uh, You know, going to put an asterisk next to this and say that the maps that we're working with heading into the new into primary season could change or aspects of them could change. Uh, there's some legal battles. The U.S. Department of Justice, uh, you know, is, is challenging some of these maps in court. Uh, so it's all kind of very fluid, I would say. And, you know, there's there's always that chance that we could be working with different maps, uh, you know, ahead of Election Day. Seems like it's always like this after a redistricting every, every 10 years or so. But there are several, a number of big races coming up. Let's kind of dive into some of these races and, and see what you think about these. We'll get to the congressional races in a moment, but let's look at some of the uh, uh, races on the Republican side, like for attorney general specifically. Is this race right now still Paxton's to lose? The opinions vary across the board, right? Yeah. You have people who think that Paxton's particularly vulnerable, just given his his own legal challenges. You know, he's he's been plagued by, uh, you know, various indictments and whatnot since uh, he first entered office. Uh, Louis Gomer, you know, has has a pretty high name ID. George P. Bush has won statewide, uh, you know, elected office before he serves as uh, the state's land commissioner. And then, you know, Eva Guzman, right, a former, uh, you know, uh, formerly, you know, of the Texas Supreme Court. Um, so, you know, you have people who think that Paxton's more vulnerable than ever. You have people who think that, you know, Paxton's track record of, you know, being able to fend off challengers is going to, you know, that that's a trend that's going to continue. Um, but, you know, we're getting to the point in this primary where if you get too many more uh, candidates uh, in the race, you know, you're looking at a, a potential runoff. And, and as we know, anything uh, can can happen in, in these runoffs. As far as the governor's race goes, West doesn't seem to be you know, getting much fundraising traction. Huffines has, is, you know, self-financing a lot of this too, but he's also uh, on the air right now. Uh, Abbott sitting on what, $55 million plus? He, he has clearly the advantage going into this. Do Huffines or West make a dent in Abbott in the primary? You know, I, I think it's hard to overcome the kind of cash that Abbott is sitting on, to your point, uh, I think that what the uh, what that particular primary race is kind of proving to be is is a conversation for you know other races down the ballot, particularly for races uh, for the Texas House and Senate. Right? You've you've always kind of had these factions of more conservative Republicans running for office versus maybe the ones that are considered to be more aligned with leadership. You know, more moderate Republicans is is one way of putting it. Um, and you know. I don't know about a dent per se. I think we're just going to have to see what Alan West and, and Huffines are able to bring in, uh, you know, heading into Election Day a little bit closer out. But as of now, uh, there's a whole lot of talk about these primary challengers running to Abbott's right, right? But there's not really a whole lot of talk about the, the comparison in the money race, which is, uh, you know, one of the most important factors 
heading into elections. But isn't that is that a vulnerability for Governor Abbott because he's paid so much attention to the people to his right who are running against him? Uh, you know, O'Rourke is behind him in the polls, but it's almost like he hasn't taken on O'Rourke yet. He's taking on the people in his own party, even though he's well past them in, in polling. Yeah, I don't I think it's um, too soon to say whether it's going to have any sort of real impact on Abbott. You know, the governor certainly um, has tried to cover his bases in terms of appealing to uh, Republican primary voters across the spectrum, whether that ends up, you know, remaining the case, especially when you have a, a Don Huffines and an Allen West and, and other candidates, too, um, who are running to the governor's right. Um, it's just going to be, you know, something that we have to, to wait and see uh what results look like when all said and done. Let's talk about the Rio Grande Valley for a moment. R- Republicans, as you know, are, are really trying to crack that big blue wall that runs along the uh, the Rio Grande down there, McAllen, Laredo, uh, Brownsville, Harlingen, places like that. Uh, President Biden's handling of the border is not helping Democrats. Do, do you think that Republicans, I mean, it seems like they're already getting a foothold in there. Uh, can they Can they actually crack that blue wall? And if they do, that's horrible news for state Democrats. Right. Uh, you know, to answer your question, I think Republicans certainly think so. They're putting a whole lot of chips in their basket heading into the 2022 cycle. You know, Republicans uh, went, went went all in on, on flipping, successfully flipping a state house seat on the south side of San Antonio uh, earlier this year. And on that same day, actually, that, that Beto O'Rourke announced that he was launching a campaign for governor. State Rep uh, Ryan Guillen, a, a longtime Democrat from South Texas, announced that he was uh, instead going to be joining the Republican party. Um, You know, Republicans are leaning on those two data points, along with, you know, President Joe Biden's somewhat underwhelming performance throughout the the predominantly Hispanic region last year. Uh, You know, Republicans have just been pushing really hard to make new inroads there. Um, O'Rourke has acknowledged this. uh, So has Abbott, um, you know, who's been working for years to win Hispanic voters. So it's going to be interesting to see if these efforts, uh, this, I guess, heightened sense of awareness that we've seen from both parties, along with whatever momentum uh, Republicans think that those two victories, if we can call them that, you know, for that state house seat and then for, you know, Ryan Guillen switching parties end up translating to any sort of longer term momentum for that party. Why do you think Republicans are are concentrating on the Valley as opposed to Dallas or Houston, Austin, San Antonio? Yeah, I think that they just view it again as 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 a pickup opportunity, right? Small businesses are are hurting from the pandemic. Uh, there's this crisis on the border. Uh, you know, I think that they're they're leaning hard in, into those sorts of data points and and more so casting blame on the Biden administration uh, to you know over their handling of, uh, of 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 the border crisis and of the situation down there. You know, Republicans have also kind of leaned into the fact that the Democrats for years have more or less just taken the area for granted in terms of, uh, you know, voters uh, who are coming to their party or at least voting for their for their candidates. So, um, you know, there just seems to be a lot, uh, you know, a a lot of data points. And I keep using that word, but that's really all it is at this point. That's what it is. Yeah. We haven't haven't seen, you know, uh, we have that special election, of course, but, you know, that's that should be treated as an outlier rather than an indicator of of an upcoming trend. Um, You know, and, and so Republicans feel optimistic for sure. 
And is there a big question as to how the vote might look um, as we go into this new year? Because there have been so many voting changes uh, here in Texas passed by the legislature. And we have a brand new secretary of state that has been installed by the governor uh, that raised a lot of questions among people uh, as to whether they can trust the vote. It depends on where they are on the political spectrum now as to whether they will trust the vote. Yeah, the new voting bill that the legislature passed last year, uh, you know, is facing a number of legal challenges to be determined on whether uh, some of the provisions of the law end up getting, you know, continuing to be challenged in court, whether the the law itself gets put on hold. Uh, you know, advocates, uh, I guess, critics of the new law have 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 pointed to the argument that that such an election law, where you're kind of curbing access to, to certain things that, that voters have, you know, typically relied on in the state and whatnot. I want to ask you, too, about uh, I mentioned the Quinnipiac poll a little earlier. Uh, the, the latest poll shows that um, uh, Beto remains behind Governor Abbott, and he's been behind Abbott in the last uh, two or three polls that have been out there as well, too. There's certainly a lot of time for Beto to catch up. The question is, though, can he? You're right. That is the question. I mean, if I'm looking at, you know, the, the board as it stands right now, Abbott, uh, Abbott's war chest of, of tens of millions of dollars doesn't really seem to be going away anytime soon. Right. Um, while Beto himself has proven to be a candidate who can, uh, you know, fundraise like crazy and really, uh, you know, get get some momentum out of Democratic voters. The question heading into that uh, race, should it end up being those two candidates when all said and done in November, is is can Beto overcome, uh, you know, the the Abbott machine? You know, if you had to look into your crystal ball, do you think either side brings in the, the bigger name? Do you think that we'll see a Biden campaigning here? Do you think we'll see a Trump campaigning here? Or do you think that the, the candidates here will ask them to just kind of stay out of it? You know, Beto, uh, when he was kicking off his campaign, suggested pretty strongly that he's not interested in, in too much outside help. Um, I'm not sure if if the governor has said something to, you know, to the similar effect. But what the governor, what Abbott gets to uh, enjoy is, you know, the incumbent ID, right, that that kind of naturally comes with serving in office for as long as he has. And, and not to mention, um, which I have mentioned multiple times on this podcast, as has everyone else, just, you know, the tens of millions of dollars that he has, right? Uh, um, yeah. And and, you know, uh, to be to be determined on how much money of that or how much of that he ends up spending um, on the primary race. But but, all, you know, all signs indicate that he is, a, you know, going to have uh, more more than is needed, uh, you know, heading into reelection for November. Here's my last question for you. Is, is the power grid going to be a winning issue for Democrats? It seems like Democrats have plenty to run on. But the power grid and whether it survives this year, this winter that we're in right now, how big of a deal will that be? Because memories are short, as we all know. Memories are indeed short. Uh, you know, Abbott has has gone all in on on all but guaranteeing that that the work that the legislature did on this issue after the winter storm and the measures that power companies have taken will keep the lights on this winter. So if they do, uh, power uh, as an issue for Democrats, I think is going to likely fade into the background just because we're, you know, memories are short. There's always so much happening. So much can change. But, you know, a hard freeze and, and prolonged blackouts or even rolling blackouts uh, could be a political game changer, though. And that could give uh, Democrats plenty of fodder uh, and even momentum, uh, depending on the timing of that, uh, heading into the March primary. This feels like it's going to just be a jam packed year coming up. 
Yes. You know, it seems like these years just get more busy and more busy the, the, the longer that we're all here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I expect that I expect that trend line to continue. So mm-hmm. there's there's a lot going on and it'll it'll be exciting to, to get to be a part of it. There's never a break. Cassie, happy new year to you. Happy new year to you both. Thanks so much for having me on. And, and so that is the way uh, that we start off a year, Jason. You know how you know everybody's saying, Happy New Year, oh, and it's going to be a busy year. It's going to be so exciting, blah, blah, blah. Uh, check in again with everybody in like 11 months, 12 months from now, and we're all just going to be exhausted again. This is going to be one of those non-stoppers this year. Um, it, it feels like we never really leave a, a the election cycle anymore, uh, but those years when we're in the election cycle just feel like they're you know, even more hypercharged. Yeah, it, it's never so we, we appreciate you tuning in two very different uh, or two different viewpoints here. They're not very different. They're two insider views yeah. is what they are from Professor King and from uh, Cassandra Pollock from the Texas Tribune. We appreciate them being here. We always appreciate you joining us here, too. This is the start of our what uh, we started in end of what, 19 Wheeler? Is that right? Yeah, it was a soft start at the yeah. end of 2019. Our, our real first so, year getting going was 2020. Uh, we grew like crazy in 2021. Thanks to right. all of you for listening. And uh, guess what? We're going to hit a big milestone here uh, probably in a couple of months, maybe even before then, if you would subscribe and start downloading these even more and telling everybody you know about it. We're going to hit a big milestone and we'll uh, talk about that more as we get closer. We promise this is not a pledge drive, but we might be handing out tote bags. You never know. Wow. I didn't know we were doing that. You don't know about this? Did we get a budget this year? No, still not. Mm. Anyways. Okay. Thanks for listening. We always appreciate it. You you guys are the most important part of this, so we appreciate that. If you know of anybody who wants to keep up with Texas politics throughout the week when you're on the go, have them subscribe and and download uh, Yolitics wherever you get your podcast. Thanks a lot. There may be a tote bag in it for them. What's that? There may be a tote bag in it for them down the road. We there don't know. could be. 